Welcome to the FPS Podcast Series. This is podcast number 47, Following Directions, the Importance of Statements of Work in Federal Contracting. My name is Todd Hatherly, and I'm the Director of Programming for Federal Publication Seminars, and we've been a leader in federal government contract training and professional development for over 60 years. And every year, we train thousands of businesses, federal agencies, and individuals on the legal, regulatory, compliance, and accounting nuances found in the federal regulations through nationwide classroom, online, and in-house sessions. These podcasts are just a small sampling of some important content you as a contracting professional can expect from attending an FPS program. Whether it's in person or online, live or on demand, you cannot find another source of, uh, with the breadth and depth of experience, knowledge, and content anywhere. So please, please visit us at fedpubseminars.com for more information. And joining me today is Gene Picard. Gene has spent many years as a, as a warranted contracting officer in the federal government and has been a speaker and a and a presenter and a faculty member of federal publication seminars for a number of years, teaching classes like Basics of Government Contracting, and now has a new course called Statements of Work. So, Gene, how are you today? Doing well, Todd. Thanks for having me. Excellent. The reason I have you talking today about Statements of Work is because we got the new class, and I think there's there's a lot of misconception of what Statements of Work is, and there's a lot of what, what I say as, um, how do you put one together? Uh, from not only just a federal standpoint, but let's say if you're a prime contractor and have to flow down requirements to the uh, to the subs. So give us a kind of a rundown what what a statement of work is. All right. Thanks, Todd. So fundamentally, the statement of work is basically the infrastructure that holds the whole contract together. A contract has the terms and conditions of how you're going to engage with the parties to the contract throughout the entire period of performance. The statement of work is the fundamental reason you have a contract. In other words, what are you buying? What are you, what are you doing? What is the gold of the stakeholders of the requirements to want to get on contract to get that job done? And so it's basically the fundamental thing of why you're on contract and explaining to industry this is what we need to do, and now you industry have to assess and develop a proposal of how you're going to meet the user's requirements. So it really starts really right at the beginning with the ideation, right? As the federal government says, I need to buy or I need, the, I need service to do this, that's when that statement of work really starts to begin. Yeah, absolutely. And and like we talk about in the basics class is I, I try to teach primarily the pre-award stuff and my colleague, Mr. Kosserin, teaches the post-award. And so the biggest thing we talk about for almost the first entire day of that class is is formation of the requirements and all the different things that go into meeting industry's needs, the socioeconomic requirements of the FAR and all market research, all the things that go into figuring out who we're going to go out to industry, and then looking at the requirements, what type of specification do we have? And we're going to talk about different types of specifications in the course because different specifications are structured differently within the statement of work. And of course, they're adjudicated and administered differently throughout contract performance. And so, yes, the statement of work starts long before you even think about building a contract because it's the requirements as reflected in the statement of work that really determines what types 
or types of contract you really need to have, not the other way around. You don't start with a contract that's, say, firm fixed price and then try to make a, a requirement or a statement of work fit that. It's the other way around. The contract should reflect the sharing of risk between the parties based on what the requirements are as documented in the statement of work. So what are the biggest elements in the statements of work? Actually, there's three basic elements. The first is the background, uh, usually paragraphs in the ones. And that's basically, why are we doing this? What's required? Par- the second part of the statement of work, in the, basically, the, I'll call it the twos paragraphs. That's basically, here's all the reference documents. Here's all the, the standards. Here's all the things you got to do while putting together what the requirements are. And then the whole, the most important part of the statement of work is the section three, all those paragraphs. That's where you find all the, the contractor shall this and shall that. Part, uh, sec- part three of the statement of work is the nuts and bolts of this is what we need you to do. Uh, and then there's also some supporting documents all, also that are attached or referenced to the statement of work. There's data items, uh, many times in uh, DOD contracts called the contract data's requirements list. So you'll have a paragraph to do some kind of task in the statement of work. And then you'll have the documentation that's required to be delivered as a result of doing and performing that work. And the larger the contract, the more important it is to probably stay on top of what those requirements are. Well, it does. It, you know, that's really kind. It's kind of agnostic. Um, as I used to tell uh, all the folks that used to some of the contracting officers that would work for me, which is, and then I learned it, you know, the hard way at the School of Hard Knocks is some of the most difficult contracts to administer are not that big. They could be a little small, five hundred thousand dollar study, and there's so much volatility and so much risk and unknown in doing that, you know, research and development contract versus a firm fixed price contract to build aircraft. And you've been doing it for a long time. It's pretty well established how you do it. Here's the standards. Here's the specs. Here's the vendors. Here's the market base. Here's the schedule. Those are actually in many ways easier. Now you're going to have engineering changes due to obsolescence of parts and people that go in and out of the industry to support the system. But overall, it's really fundamental to any contract. And like I said, it's not necessarily dollar amount. It's it's how well the requirements are reflected in the statement of work. I, I would submit that the less time you spend getting the statement of work accurate, reflecting what you really need, the more difficult it's going to be to administer that contract because you haven't really told industry what you want. And if you don't tell industry what you want, they're going to guess. And if they guess wrong, then you're going to have contract changes coming at you all the time during contract performance. I'm a contractor. I'm getting this RFP. I'm seeing the statements of work, what what needs to get done. How am I working with internally to kind of decipher, pull it together, and even working with my subs to put together something for the government to look at? That's a great question. And when I was in an R&D company many years ago, uh, as a contracts manager, one of the things I had to do is I was involved very heavily in the the bid-no-bid decision, which is exactly what you're pointing at right now. And I submit to you that industry needs to pay attention to what are the projected efforts coming down the line. The government 
needs to do, they're supposed to do, you know, request for information to communicate to industry, hey, we got this stuff coming down. Here's what we're looking at. What do you think? Get input from industry. So the minute industry understands or knows there's something coming, that's when the work begins long before an RFP or a draft RFP, because then you have to build your teams. And the other thing I had to do was do teaming agreements. And so you decide, okay, these are the skill sets that are company brings to the table, but we're missing some of the skill sets that can be provided by some of our teammates. And so you look for those specialized expertise companies to round out your team. So you're basically building that team long before you ever see a final RFP. Now, hopefully, uh, the government sometime early on that process will put a draft statement of work up on SAM.gov, and you can actually look at it and pull it down and assess, oh, okay, here's kind of where they're going with this and and get a kind of a heading check of what your strengths are. And maybe you do or don't want to do that particular effort. And once, once it starts becoming more solidified, then you would engage with your teammates and decide hey, who's going to do, you know, which part of the requirement, who's doing this writing assignment, that writing assignment, and then parse out how that's going to be built. You build the work breakdown structure to say, okay, here's this piece. You know, we as a primer doing this. Here's the parts we're subbing out and understand what the interaction and what the roles that all the team members are going to play to that requirement. Gene, one question I always have is, all right, you have to have somebody from the contractor side lead the effort in putting this all together and and understand deciphering it and and, uh, putting it back out to uh, subs. If you had an ideal team to make this, to to make the statements of work, I don't know even what they'd call that team, but whatever that team would be, who would be on that committee to say, okay, this is how we have to break down the statement of work and and figure out who's involved. I mean, what kind of what kind of job set skills, job function functionality areas would be involved in this whole process? Yeah, great question. So I currently actually am working on the short answer to your question is the capture team and whoever the capture team lead is for that proposal. So that guy or gal who's leading that proposal effort is basically the guy or gal who gets to herd all the cats. And herding cats is a lot of work. And basically, you have someone that's you know handing out assignments and looking at who's got what requirement due. They basically divide up, like I said, you know, using the WBS. And you'll have all the functional specialists that are needed to perform that work, and you're going to have the internal specialists as well. For example, so within the capture team, you're going to have your systems engineers, you're going to have your production engineers, you're going to have your finance people. They're the ones that have to do all the pricing and bring all that requirement together. You're going to have the the vendor management folks or the purchasing department because they're going to buy all the piece parts. You're going to have the general counsel's office to look at it from a legal perspective, you know, kind of as it's getting all done to make sure they're dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's. But that capture manager is really kind of the guy that's on lead and on point to bring all that together. And you're going to have whatever functional disciplines you're going to need to be able to not only respond to the RFP, but to identify what is the basis of effort for all the pieces that go into building or 
building that product or delivering that service or services to the government. So it's a it's a team effort, obviously. And basically, when you dissect the statement of work, you're looking at what kind of skill sets are going to be needed. You're going to look at what functional folks within the company and the team, because you're going to have those. You're going to have pricing people, for example, and finance people at the subcontractor level as well, because they have to provide their subcontract proposal that the government then, you know, has to consent to subcontract, let's say. And so that's one of the things we're going to talk about in the class is, is how you look at a statement of work. And we're going to look at several, everything from a bill to print to a professional services contract and say, okay, how would you parse this out? What would that look like? And towards the end of the class, we're actually going to say, okay, here's the requirement. Here's what we've decided upon. Now we want you to write what actually that paragraph would or sentence or two what it would look like to say what you're going to do to support and deliver that requirement to the government. Sounds like fantastic uh, exercise to do. So Gene, I appreciate your time today. For everybody on the audience, I believe what we have is we have the course set up uh, to run March 27th to 28th in Hilton, Orlando. Uh, in Orlando, Florida, and then we may 11th and 12th, uh, La Jolla, California, and July 25th and 26th at Hilton Head. Plus, I think we have it uh, uh, once uh, virtually, but certainly this is a class that you want to take in person because of the exercises and and, and the agenda um, and how it's set up. It makes more sense to be in person. Gene, any other last-minute thoughts? No, I, I just like to um, echo what you just said is the way we structured this class and really the way to make it really come to life and really, you know, hit home is to do it live. Um, I mean, we've all done the virtual learning thing with, you know, during the whole COVID mess and we've tried to do breakout rooms and all that stuff. And yes, you can do it, but boy, it's really a challenge, especially it's it a, challenge, a challenge, you know, connectivity. So, you know, and so it's, it's great, Todd, that you've put together, you know, three really great venues that we're going to run the class and um, from a team perspective it's myself and also I have a great team member from another company and uh, he's been do he's going to been doing a lot of stuff with subcontractors and he's been on capture teams and so we're going to give you not only the government spin on what goes into that and how to do it we're going to do it from the contractor perspective as well so one thing I always try to do when I teach is to capture both sides of that perspective. That way you have a well-rounded, you know, concept of just what's going on behind the green curtain, if you will, during that whole proposal process. Yes, that's, that's an excellent way to do it. And that's what we like to see at FedPubs, uh, both sides of the story. So it not only gets people talking, it gets them interacting and uh, thinking about the whole process as a whole, not just the one side. Thank you, Gene. I appreciate your time today. And as always, if you have topics you want to cover in a podcast, please send me a note at Todd at FedPubSeminars.com. Until next time, stay safe, keep your distance, and read the far.